How's everybody doing? Hey. <laughs> that was terrible. How are, how are you guys doing? Good, good. Um, you guys are a Sunday morning crowd, so you, you didn't see me last Saturday. Um, I've had this cough, and it's actually quite a bit better. I, I'm still coughing a little bit, but it's, it's last week at the five, I was sitting here, and I was sweating real bad, and I was coughing real bad, and it was just awful. And uh, if, if, you, if you're a teacher, you understand this. I was kind of on autopilot, you know, and I'm, and I'm reading out loud. To, you know, our five o'clock service is a pretty big service. It's actually about this size, a little bit bigger. And um, I'm reading, and I'm on autopilot, and, and I know I'm reading, and I see what I'm reading, but in my head, I'm like, Corey, you're about to pass out in front of all these people, and you're going to look really dumb when you do. And that's what I was thinking. And so I'm sweating real bad, and I'm reading, and I'm just like, God, please don't let me pass out. And uh, I made it through. And I remember in between services, I got some chloroseptic spray. Patrick went and picked me some up so I wouldn't like, you know, because I was just coughing so bad. And one dose is like, a, like, a, like one shot of that, right? And I was over here in the corner. I did like 14 of those. I couldn't feel anything from like my lips down to like the middle of my chest. And I'm just doing this and I'm coating my whole mouth with, with chloroseptic spray. And I made it through the seven pretty good. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I don't know. Probably need to go to rehab for now, an addiction to chloroseptic spray, but uh, that wasn't a funny joke at all. I shouldn't have said that. Hope you guys uh, got to come out to worship night Friday. It was amazing. It was probably one of our biggest worship nights, which is a miracle in and of itself because, you know, it's like walking through World War III to get to the building now, but it's, uh, uh, we had a huge crowd, a lot of people here. We baptized just on worship night. I think we baptized 22 we baptized 12 last night, and um, we'll see how many we baptize today. And if you've never been here before, we only take a break a couple of times a year. We go through whole books of the Bible. We're actually in the beginning of Hebrews, which I hope you guys are enjoying so far. I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, but we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we take a break a couple of times a year. This year, we'll take three breaks from it and uh, to go over this particular lesson about baptism. Now, let me tell you what my objective is in doing this. A lot of you have heard this, guy, this, this lesson uh, several times. People who've been coming here for years could almost get up here and teach this lesson. I can almost call any staff member and they could come up here and teach this lesson. They've heard it so many times. But the reason why this is important and my goal with this lesson is that if you're a believer in here, if you've given your life to Christ and have not been baptized yet, I hope to convince you that this is a very big milestone in your relationship with Jesus. If you're not a believer in here, maybe something in this lesson, some of the things I say, will at least spark you to start going down the path of exploring who Jesus Christ is and possibly accepting him. We had someone accept Jesus Christ just the other day and sent me a message. I was like, oh, it's super, super awesome. And, and so hopefully through this, I can give you some clarity on why we go through the ceremony of dunking people in water and why that's such an important uh, uh, deal, okay? So I'll do my best to explain that. You have a notes handout in front of you, so everything I'm gonna say is on that, uh, except for one passage of scripture, which I'll read to you, but it's written on there, so um, you can go back and look it up later if you need to. So everything's in front of you. It's a short lesson. We're gonna have baptisms today, and um, I, just, I, I hope I can do a good job of convincing you biblically that this is a big deal, okay? So let me pray. And we will jump into this and be patient with me. If I cough a little bit, I'll try to mute it and, and uh, we'll see what happens, okay? All right. Uh, Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Pray, God, that you just keep your hand on us today. Father, if there's anyone in this room who is interested in baptism, but for some reason or another, they just haven't taken this step yet, Lord, I just pray that through this lesson, God, that, that you persuade them, that you convince them that this is very important to you. 
Lord, if there are people in this room who are on the fence about even being a Christian, I pray that you touch their hearts today, and I pray, God, that you start to give them some clarity and some answers, and whether they choose to get baptized or whether they choose to accept you as their Savior today, as long as they're getting down that path, Lord, that's the seed we want to plant. And we just pray, God, that, that if that seed needs to be planted in people in here, that it is. Lord Jesus, if there's people in this room who've been Christians for 30, 40 years, and Maybe they were baptized as an infant, or maybe they uh, uh, feel the need to rededicate their lives. God, I pray that you speak to their hearts. And Lord, I pray that you just uh, uh, convict them if need be and instruct them, Lord. And God, just keep your hand on me as I teach this lesson. Father, we also want to pray for every single church in our city this morning that's having service. Uh, we pray, God, that your kingdom advances through those churches. Bless those pastors. Bless those leaders, God, and keep your hand on them. And we pray all this in the only name that saves. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm excited in a couple of weeks. Uh, David Young from North Boulevard Church of Christ is going to be speaking at all four services. And um, whenever I tell people that like our sister church in town is a church of Christ, I just love looking at people's faces because you couldn't take two more opposite kinds of churches and put them together. We love those guys and they love us and it's really, really cool. And David Young is a phenomenal speaker. He has a PhD from Vanderbilt, I think. So he's, you know, relatively smart. So uh, anyways, baptism. Let me tell you a little bit about baptism. Baptism is simply this, uh, just, to, just to really simplify it. It's our symbolic and public display that we've chosen to be Christians. That's essentially what baptism is. It's us making it public. It's us saying to all the people around us, hold us accountable, hold me accountable. I have chosen to follow Jesus. Now, biblically, it says this is where we become a new man. If you're a woman in here, a, a new woman. This is where you take on a new identity, a new persona, if you will. Biblically, this says this is where we're brought to life, that we were dead in our sins and we were dead spiritually and we were brought to life. And a part of that comes through baptism. Now, the way I always explain this, and it's very, very simple, is it's kind of like a wedding ring or a wedding ceremony. This ring is not my marriage. This is not my marriage. It's a representation of the fact that I belong to my wife. Baptism is not your salvation the water is not mystical and what I say or whoever baptizes you says is not a mystical, magical formula. It is a representation that God has already touched your heart. It's a public profession that God, it's a response to what God has already done to your heart. So that's not the salvation, but it's a representation of your salvation, which makes it extremely important. What baptism does, not just in the United States, globally, this is a marker, if you will, is if you are a Christian or not. It's the most evident part of our adoption into the family of God. It's very visible. It's very tangible. It's very important. And it should mark a turning point in our walk with Jesus. So when you give your life to Christ and you repent, if you've never heard that word before, essentially that means that you ask God to forgive you and you turn from the life you were living to the way Jesus wants us to live, there should be a significant turning point there there comes another turning point as we grow closer to Christ when you make that public, when you publicly say to everyone and go through the stage, I am following Jesus. It's a big deal, and we should live differently after our conversion, after our baptism. It says this. Now, I usually don't jump around with Scripture, but I do this at baptism lessons in order to give you evidence for everything I'm going to say. So everything I tell you, I hope to back it up with the Bible, okay? So Paul wrote this to the church, uh, uh, to the Colossians. You were also circumcised with him, not a circumcision done by human hands, by putting off a piece of flesh, but in a circumcision 
of the Messiah. Having been buried with him and baptized, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. What Paul was saying is baptism is like a surgery, not a physical surgery where they circumcise a piece of flesh or remove a tumor or remove a cancerous lump from your body, not that kind of surgery. It's a spiritual surgery. So where in baptism, Christ removes the corrupt parts of our nature. He removes our past identity and replaces it with his identity in you, that he does this spiritual surgery to us. So here's my thing. I hope to give you some, again, some evidence to help convince you that baptism is a big deal. Now, I know he came to the service last night, he and his wife, so I won't embarrass him. This is a very important picture to me. This is a guy named Andrew Conley, and that's his wife, Chrissy. I got to baptize both of them in November. Now, this is a big deal. I remember I used to sit, and I'm not making light of this. It was wrong. I used to sit, sit and smoke packs of cigarettes with this guy at the Red Rose Cafe when I worked there. And Andrew would sit, and we'd talk about music, and just we were not Christians, very far from being Christians. And I remember I became a Christian in 2002 and I invited Andrew, who was in one of my favorite punk rock bands at the time. I invited Andrew to church and I remember the look he gave me, the whole like, oh, Corey's in a cult now. You know, this weird thing. And I remember uh, uh, he and his wife started coming to this church maybe about six months ago. And probably one of the greatest wins, if you will, in all my years of doing this church in the seven years was having my old punk rock buddy, Andrew, come. I got to baptize him in November and his wife was in the tank with him. They got baptized at the same time. Really, really cool stuff. So one of the reasons why we choose to get baptized is that Jesus Christ has set the example for us. Now, what that means is this. If you go back and read the Old Testament, these 39 books of the Old Testament, it's called the Tanakh. When you read the Tanakh, the Old Testament, Kind of the, the representation of salvation or the, the method that people had to go to was, was pretty, pretty extreme. What they had to do is they had to sacrifice an animal. They would discard certain parts of it, burn certain parts of it, pour the blood of an animal, animal over an altar. And what that did is it didn't get you a, a eternal salvation. It rolled back your sins for a year. So it was kind of like, almost like a spiritual credit card, if you will. Your debt was still there. It just pushed it back for a year. Now, what happened was, is Jesus kind of shook things up when he came onto the scene. He shook things up and what he was going to do was through the father or through the father, through Jesus, if you will, was going to introduce a new way, a new representation of our salvation. And he was going to wipe out our debt forever. All the sins of the past, all the sins of the future, Jesus was going to take on the cross and through repentance and through baptism, no longer do we just roll away sin. Our sin is completely removed. Our debt permanently cleansed. So to set the stage for this, what happened was John the Baptist, he was kind of the front runner of Jesus, good friend of Jesus, a cousin of Jesus, knew Jesus really, really well. John the Baptist would hang out at the Jordan River and just baptize people all day long. That's what he did. They say he baptized somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 people. He probably had a really good, strong left arm, right? So he's baptizing all these people. And one day Jesus walks up. I don't know if Jesus cuts line, He's allowed to do that. He's God, right? So he gets in front. He goes up to John the Baptist in the middle of the Jordan River and he tells John, he says, you need to baptize me. Now imagine this. John knew who Jesus was. John knew that Jesus was the son of God, God incarnate on earth. He knew that. And so to have God incarnate walk up to you and say, hey, I need you to baptize me. John was like, I can't baptize you. You're the son of God. You should be baptizing me. And now Jesus's response to that is extremely important when we talk about baptism. This is what he said. 
Jesus says, this is the way it has to be now. This is the proper way to do everything that God requires of us. So being told that, John says, okay. He gave in to him. And so he baptized Jesus. And when Jesus came up out of the water, it says the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit descended down on Jesus Christ. And it said that we heard the voice of the people, heard the voice of God say, this is my son whom I love. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Now listen, whether you have to get baptized or not to me is irrelevant. Baptism makes God happy. And if you get baptized for no other reason, know that it pleases our Father in heaven. So Jesus set the example. Now what's interesting is Jesus didn't have to be baptized. He didn't have to. He didn't have any sin to wash away. But what he wanted to do is he wanted to be the example for us. And I said this last week, Jesus will never ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Even something as, as minute, and I'm not trying to take away from it, as getting baptized. He did it, and therefore we should follow his lead. He set the example, okay? There's also an activation that takes place when we're baptized. There's all these promises in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And if we are obedient to God, God activates things in our life. Now, when you become a believer in Jesus, your relationship with God is a process, which means it's just like a marriage. We get married, so like you get saved, you become a follower of Jesus, you are, as the Bible says, justified, you're made right by God. But after the justification, there comes a thing called sanctification, which means we're always growing closer to Jesus. We're always working on our relationship with God. We're always getting set apart more and more for God's tasks and his process. And so as we move through the process of being set apart of God, for God, things that we do, activate promises that God has for us. And one of those promises is found in Acts chapter two, where a guy named Peter, he was the head of the church at the beginning after Jesus left, said that when we genuinely repent, when we ask God to forgive us, and when we're baptized as a public profession of faith, the Holy Spirit of God is empowered. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit and it starts to work through us and we can live in a way that pleases God. Now, if you've never read the book of Acts, you should. It's crazy, right? There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens in the book of Acts. I mean, like disciples walking in their shadow heals people and speaking in tongues and prophecy and people being teleported, Philip, all kinds of wacky stuff in the book of Acts, an awesome book of the Bible. It starts off with its craziness in chapter two. And when I say crazy, I don't mean derogatory. It's just crazy stuff. In chapter two of Acts, about 500 of Jesus's followers we're in this big room about this size, this rented apartment in Jerusalem. The reason why they were there is right after Jesus died and ascended, he said, wait for me in Jerusalem because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I promised I would send you the comforter. I'm gonna send you the counselor. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna send him to you. So all these followers of Jesus got together, about, about this many people, right? There's probably about 700 people in this room right now. They all got together and they were in this upper room and they're praying and they're fasting and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, even though they have no idea what that looks like. So you can imagine them praying and someone sneezes and they're like, ah, no, it's just a cold, right? You know, they're just waiting on the Holy Spirit, not knowing what that looks like. And so all of a sudden, as they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts chapter two that like a rushing mighty wind, the Holy Spirit comes into this room, right? And it says it lights them on fire, not literally, but spiritually lights them on fire. 
they start speaking in tongues and they pour out into the street and they're speaking languages that they're not supposed to know how to speak. And it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And so all the Jewish people in Jerusalem are on their way to work, right? Sipping their Starbucks or whatever they had back at the time, drinking their coffee. And they see all these Christians speaking in tongues and dancing around in the streets. And they're like, whoa, the Christians are drunk and it's only nine o'clock in the morning. So Peter hears this, right? The leader of all these people jumps up on a rock or a stump or however he elevates himself above like lots and lots of people. There's a big crowd. He says, hey, guys, they're not drunk like you think. They're not crazy. Let me tell you what's going on. Long time ago, one of our prophets, Joel, said that God would pour out his spirit on us. That's what you're seeing. The Holy Spirit has empowered these individuals to speak in different languages so you can hear the gospel and you can understand. And he explains this to him. And he tells him about Jesus. And he says, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and and you guys didn't follow him. And the Romans and the Jewish council had him murdered. And he went and told the whole story. And so after he told them the gospel, essentially, all the people listening said, okay, Peter, we believe you. Now what? The million dollar question, right? Now what? And this was Peter's response. He said, repent. Ask God to forgive you and turn from the way you're going. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you do this, if you're obedient, there's this promise where you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says this promise is for you. It's for you. It's for all the people who haven't heard this yet. It's for your kids. It's for everyone who is obedient to God. And so it said that day, with many other words, Peter testified. You can imagine, Peter was probably like, Let me tell you about Jesus. One day we're out on a boat and he's walking on water and Peter's like, I wanted to walk on water. So I got out of the boat and I walked on water to him and he testified and told all these people these crazy stories and he said, be saved. Be saved from this corrupt generation. And it says that all the people who accepted the message, who accepted the gospel were baptized. About 3,000 in one day. Now, if you've never been to one of our baptism services, they're a lot of fun. We let anyone who's a Christian baptize anyone who wants to get baptized. So if you're in here today and, I don't know, your mom wants to get baptized, you can do it. If you're in here today and your wife or, or your husband or whatever the case may be, you baptize them. The reason why we think that's biblically supported is I don't think Peter baptized all 3,000 of these people in that day. I just don't think he had the time to do so, right? So he probably empowered all those people in the upper room. Hey, you, take your friends. Hey, you, take your family. Hey, you, you baptize your neighbor. Hey, you introduce them. You're the one that told them the gospel. You baptize them. And so they baptized 3,000 people in one day. Now, whether you've been baptized for 30 years or you get baptized today, I want to encourage you, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, go back into 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Those are also pretty crazy books of the Bible, by the way, chapters of the Bible, and read about the gifts of the Spirit. Read about these gifts that God has promised for us to use to edify the body, to advance the kingdom of God for us to grow closer to him. We need to talk about those gifts more. And if you've repented and you've been baptized, God has promised that the Holy Spirit will empower you, okay? Next part. Another reason why we get baptized, or at least you should consider it, is because Jesus simply instructs us to do so. Now, we're very rebellious, all of us in this room. We're naturally rebellious because humanity has fallen. And sometimes, and this happens a lot in Christianity, we always look for the path of least resistance. That's not always the way God works. Sometimes we just need to stop debating God and we just need to do what he says. 
I always tell the funny story, you guys have probably heard it a hundred times, when I was working on this lesson years and years and years ago, and there was two theological uh, seminary students sitting next to me. You know, they were in their early 20s, never worked, and, you know, are going to college. They know everything, right? And so they're sitting next to me, and I'm working on this lesson, and they ask what I'm working on, and I tell them baptism, and, and this one kid goes, well, do you, do you think you have to be baptized? I'm like, well, you know, Jesus did it, so I'm just trying to do what he did. And, and so they, we kind of had this argument, and they spent about 30 minutes talking me out of, or trying to talk me out of, the validity of baptism. And so at the end of this conversation, I asked them, I was like, just curious, what, what denomination are you guys, if you are one? They said, well, we're Baptists. And I was like, and, I, and I'm drowning in irony right now. But, uh, and so it was just interesting to me. But here's the thing. I can't explain everything about baptism. I can't. There's a lot of it that we just don't understand. But I know that it is imperative to be obedient to God. Now look, you can study the Greek. You can break it down word by word, letter by letter if you want. And if you go to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the last great command before Jesus went up into heaven to his, to his followers is he said this, go make disciples. This is pretty clear to me and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you. That is pretty black and white. That's pretty clear to me. And I find it offensive when quote unquote Christians try to talk me out of doing such a blatant command that Christ has given us. I have a hard time with that. It's, it's offensive to me. And if you go back and read the words of Jesus in the book of John, Jesus simply said this, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. If you love me, you will follow my commands. And Jesus said, go baptize people. If you love me, you'll just listen to me. You'll do what I tell you to do. So another reason why we choose to get baptized is it identifies us with the resurrection of Christ. There's a lot of symbolism in baptism. Now, some of you who have not lived um, colorful lives, like, like some of us in this room, those of you who have not lived colorful lives, maybe, maybe this doesn't mean a lot to you. For those of us who've made a lot of mistakes, I'm being sarcastic with all this, all of you have made a lot of mistakes. For all of us that have made a lot of mistakes, the symbolism that Jesus Christ gives us a fresh start is extremely attractive. The fact that Jesus Christ gives us a new beginning, that we die to our old selves and we're buried to our old selves, that is extremely attractive. More attractive than our old self being buried is that a new self comes up out of that water. We are identified with the resurrection of Christ. And that doesn't mean you won't have struggles, you will. But from this moment on, you're labeled as a new creation. You're no longer slaves to the past mistakes, and the things that you've dealt with, you're no longer shackled to that. And also the Holy Spirit is with you. So the curveballs of life that come at you now, God will equip you to handle those things. And that happens when we repent and we are baptized. Paul said this to the church in Rome. He said, are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we can walk in a new way of life. Now, I'm a former addict. Um, um, had some struggles with addictions. Uh, uh, it's been quite a while ago, but had some pretty big uh, struggles. One of the problems I have with NA and, NA, uh, NA and AA, and if you're a part of that, I'm not saying that they're horrible or anything, but one of the problems I have with that is people stand up after being delivered and clean and sober for years and years and years, and they say, I am such and such, and I'm an alcoholic. 
Now, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've repented for your sins and you've been baptized in his name, you are no longer an addict. That is not your identity any longer. And so the reason why we do celebrate recovery, and I love celebrate recovery, is they don't say I'm an addict. They say, I was formerly this. I've been transformed. They may still have struggles. They may still have issues, but that is not where your identity is found anymore. You are a new creation and you walk in a new way of life. Now, I think the Bible gives us evidence to this. I've made it highlighted right here. For if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will be joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For the old self was crucified. The old Corey Trimble, the old addict from the early 2000s, the, the one that did cocaine and speed and everything else, that Corey Trimble is dead. He was crucified. He's not put on a shelf. He's not lurking around the corner. He's not waiting to be resurrected. He's dead. He's dead. And the dominion that sin had over the body is abolished. We are no longer enslaved to sin since a person who has died in Jesus is freed from sin's claims. Are you, are you an addict anymore if God has delivered you from that? No, you are not. You are formally that. You are no longer that. Your identity is found in Christ. So why do we... I got a little Pentecostal there for a second. Sorry about that. So why do we mention his name when we baptize you? Now, this is important to me to talk about this. I came from a denomination that pushed very heavily that if exactly the right words weren't said over you when you're baptized, that your baptism is invalid. And I want to tell you that's not correct. Now, the words spoken over someone getting baptized are not nearly as important as the genuineness of the person's heart that gets into that water. The person praying over you is not the one that saves your eternal soul. That is Jesus. And if your heart gets into that water repentant, wanting to make a public profession to all the people in this room, it is your relationship with God that's important when you get into that, not what I or anyone else has to say over you. Now, in saying that, I do want to tell you why we find it important that we pray over you and mention Jesus' name. We pray the only name that saves new believers because that is the identity that you are adopting. We want to know what identity you are taking on. Technically speaking, this is the way Peter taught the Jews to do it. It's the way Paul taught the Greeks to do it. That name, Jesus, holds significant power. If you're a new believer, you're a new Christian, if you do a baptism today and you don't have elaborate words to pray, if you just say, in the name of Jesus Christ, that is sufficient. That holds all weight. It holds all power. And if you just say his name, Jesus responds. If you're genuine, Jesus responds to his name being called. It says this in Galatians. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For as many of you who have been baptized under Christ have put on Christ like a garment. I love that. When you get baptized in the water, you'll feel this warm, comfortable water from the top of your head, that was a joke, to the bottom of your feet, and you'll be covered just like the Holy Spirit insulates you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And once you do this, once you make this public profession, Paul says there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And what Paul was talking about there it's not that you're not a Jew or a Greek. It's not that you're not a male or a female. What Paul was saying is this, your identity is not found in those things. I'm gonna get preachy here for a second. Where the church has gone wrong, not this church, but Christianity as a whole, is we've said to people, we just need to make sure you're not gay. 
We just need to make sure you're not sleeping with your boyfriend. We just need to make sure that you're doing this or this and this. And those are symptoms of a much greater problem. The much greater problem is we don't know who we belong to. We don't know where our identity's found. I don't have to tell you not to steal and kill and cheat on your wife if I can just convince you that you're a son or daughter of Jesus. If I convince you that you belong to Jesus, you're naturally not gonna steal, kill, or practice uh, improper sexual uh, lifestyles or whatever the case may be. But we have not shown people where their identity should lie. You guys with me on that? I'm not saying that those things shouldn't be talked about. They should be talked about. But my goal is not to convince you how to vote. My goal is to convince you that your identity is found in Jesus and that will change the way you vote. And that will change the way you deal with sexuality. That will change the way you talk to your neighbor. But first and foremost, you need to know where your identity comes from. And it doesn't come from your occupation, your nationality, your skin color, your socioeconomic status. It doesn't even come by your gender. It comes by the name of Jesus Christ. Got preachy again there. All right. So the reason why we completely submerge people, besides the fact that it's just fun, right? The reason why we completely submerge people is again, technically speaking, the word baptism, this is gonna blow your mind, means to submerge in water. So by definition, we just wanna be true to what the word says. Now, in a very metaphorical sense, if baptism is symbolic of you being buried with Christ and resurrected, we wanna make sure that we do this ceremony its proper justice. We wanna make sure that we pay the proper respect. Now, this is a very crass analogy, but I heard a preacher use it a long time ago, and so I ripped it off, because that's what we do. Um, this pastor talked about one time, he said, if your loved one died and you dig the hole, a six foot hole, and you place this body in there, it would not be praying proper, proper respects to just grab a handful of dirt and toss it on it. You're not properly covering, you're not properly respecting that body. And so what we wanna do is we wanna completely submerge you. We wanna completely put you under. And so when you rise from that, it's proper and it's the way it's supposed to be. Last part. This is Sarah Lefevre. She is one of the nicest women you'll ever meet. I told her that she was gonna be in my PowerPoint this week and she's like, oh, I was such a wreck that day. And I'm like, it's cool. <laughs> really, really sweet woman. Uh, we're gonna make a Life at the Experience video of her very, very soon. Do you guys watch those? You should if you don't. Last week we posted a video of a, of a girl that she's actually gonna start working here named Alice Logan. She's from Great Britain. Um, she's getting her visa and she's, she's gonna start working here. Her Life at the Experience video is fantastic. You should check that out. And she's got a cool accent too, so it's fun. So the big question, the million dollar question is this, do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? Okay, let me read you a story. It's from the book of Acts, chapter eight, verse 26 through 40. I'm gonna read a little bit and let me see if I can explain this and set the scene for this. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is called the desert road. So Philip got up and he went, <clears throat> there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. 
So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the scripture that the Ethiopian was reading was this. This is from the book of Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearers, he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news, that's the gospel, about Jesus beginning from that scripture. Now, let me set the stage for this. Philip was one of the original 12 disciples, right? Now, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the 12 disciples dispersed. They went out to different parts of the world and they spread the gospel, right? So Philip's still hanging around on the outskirts of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit tells him to look for an Ethiopian man who was a very influential, intelligent, he was a eunuch. And the reason why that's mentioned is there were certain men who would, we're not going to get into great detail here, would remove sexual intimacy from their life so they could be extremely devoted to the queen or the king. This man had done that. He was intelligent. He was powerful. He was in charge of all the treasury of an entire country. He was also a follower of the true God. Didn't know about Jesus yet, but he knew about the Jewish God and followed him. He had gone into Jerusalem to worship at the temple and was on his way out of town. Now, on his way out of town, this man was sitting here in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Again, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. Now, what's fascinating is he, was hap he happened to be reading a part of Isaiah that was talking about Jesus and talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. So as he's reading this out loud, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus happened to hear him. Isn't that crazy? You couldn't, you couldn't write a script like that, right? And so Philip hearing this is probably like, oh my gosh. And he says, hey man, do you know what you're reading about? Do you understand what you're reading? And the, the Ethiopian eunuch said, I don't. Can you explain it to me? Come on up. So he jumps up into the chariot and it says that Philip explained the gospel about Jesus starting from the book of Isaiah. So Philip told this Ethiopian, this intelligent, powerful man, he said, look, what you're reading about is a guy named Jesus. I was one of his followers, lived with him for three years, traveled all over Israel, seeing him raise the dead and heal the blind and unstop uh, uh, deaf ears and do all this crazy stuff. And get this, he even was murdered. And after three days, he resurrected poured out his spirit on all of his followers, and I've been sent out to go tell people about it. My buddy Peter jumped up on this rock and was like telling all these people that they need to repent and they need to be baptized. And at that point, the Ethiopian's like, whoa, what is baptism? And so Philip got into what baptism is. And so he talked about all these things that the Lord wants us to do. And so the story goes on and it says this. It says, as they were traveling down the road, they saw some water. So obviously Philip talked about baptism because the eunuch said, look, there's water. He was excited. That's what the exclamation point means. The Ethiopian was like, oh my gosh, Philip, look, there's water over there. What would keep me from getting baptized? Please keep that in mind. He says, what would keep me from doing this? And Philip said, if you believe in your heart, you can get baptized. And so the Ethiopian said this, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Listen to me. If you've ever said, and you've meant with all your heart, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, this is the response we should have. They exited the chariot, 
They told the chariot to stop. They got out of the chariot. They ran down to this body of water. We don't know if it was a river or a lake, a pond or whatever it was. And he was immediately baptized. That was his response. Now, if you go a chapter further in the book of Acts, chapter nine, it gets crazier. It talks about a guy named Saul. Saul was a highly educated Jewish person who hated Christians and went town to town persecuting them, not just men, women and children would persecute them, throw them in the jail, have them killed. In fact, he killed the first martyr, a guy named Stephen, a young man named Saul. Jesus knocked him on his butt in chapter nine of Acts, knocked him on his butt and said, you're gonna follow me and you're gonna suffer for me. And he did. He became the apostle Paul who wrote about 70% of the New Testament. And it talks about right after Jesus rocked his world, made him blind, and then a guy named Ananias prayed for him and healed his eyes, the first thing Paul did was get baptized. First thing he did. Now that's a cool chapter too. The problem with chapter eight and chapter nine is this. It does not answer the question, do you go to hell if you're not baptized? It doesn't answer that. In my opinion, there's a couple of people that will argue this. Nowhere in the Bible does it definitively say that if you do not do this, that you're going to go to hell. It doesn't say that. And so we look through the Bible, and I think that God did that on purpose. And I'll tell you why I think that. Because the question of, do I have to do it to be saved, is a terrible question. It's a terrible question. If you go into a marriage, if you're not married in here, this is good marital advice. If you go into a relationship with your husband or wife, and you say, hey, before we have our wedding ceremony, can you just tell me the bare minimum I have to do so you won't divorce me? <laughs> if you do that, <laughs> I hope you have a comfortable couch uh, because it's not going to go very well. That's just women don't really dig that approach. Uh, men don't dig that approach. No one digs that approach, right? So if our relationship with God is symbolic in a marriage, that's, that's our, there's going to be no, no weddings in heaven, no marriage in heaven, because we will all be married to Christ. This, our marriage on earth, is, a, is, a, is kind of a foreshadowing of our relationship in heaven with God. So if he's our husband, how dishonoring to our husband, how arrogant, how apathetic is it to approach the king of kings and say, do I have to? Do I have to? And here's the thing. If God has truly touched our lives, listen, if we start to understand what that cross we wear on our neck or the cross that's over here may be tattooed on you or on a shirt you have or you might have a bumper sticker on the back of your car, if you start to understand what that cross represents, if you start to understand, we talked about it last week when I showed that picture of the veil nebula, if you were here, right? That the God that spoke the universe into existence humbled himself, came down, served mankind, lived as a blue-collar worker, a carpenter and a masonry person, that he did that and that he died for us. He rose again and poured out his spirit, equipped us, and he showed us tremendous grace. When we start to comprehend what that cross represents, our questions move away from what do I have to do and they start to circulate and gravitate more towards what more can I do for Christ? When someone asks me, Corey, do you have to do it to be saved? I never answer that because it's a terrible question. It just shouldn't be asked. Once you understand what Christ has done for us, our proper response is, God, I wanna be as obedient to your word as humanly possible. What more can I do for you? What more can I do for you? My goodness, if all the Lord asks of us is to get into a body of water and make it public that we're gonna follow him, 
It's not much. It's convenient. We have clothes to change into. There's a bathroom to change in. We have whole packets of Scripture. We have mentors we can set you up with. We have a basics class that's going to start, I think, next week, where if you don't know anything about it, it's free. It's four weeks of just the basics of Christianity. Josh teaches that. He's got a master's in education. He's a brilliant man. He just, just goes over the basics of Christianity. We make it as convenient as humanly possible. And so my question to you is not, do you have to do it? I don't want to manipulate you or scare you or, or dangle hell in front of you or any of that stuff. I just want to simply ask you, if you believe Jesus as your Savior, why not? Why not? Why not? And if you're wrestling with that, I've probably seen in the last seven years, we've probably seen somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve to 1,500 baptisms. And not of all those baptisms, I've never had one person come up to me afterwards and been like, yeah, that kind of sucked. Wish I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I've never had that happen. <laughs> never had it happen. But I've had too many to even count that have come up to me and said, wow, it's not easier after baptism, but it's better. I feel empowered by the Holy Spirit. I feel like God has really done something to me. I talked to Chrissy Conley last night, the one that I showed you the picture of my friend Andrew, and she's like, my God, life has not been easy in the last four months, but it has been so good. Their marriage is better, their children are better, their relationship with the Lord is better. It'll do something to you. The Holy Spirit will work on your heart and it will change you in a very positive manner. I'm gonna pray for you guys. Look, if you choose not to get baptized, A, please be respectful. Please just, there's a lot of people, we'll have, uh, I think we'll have both tanks open. Looking for someone to come from, okay. Both tanks will be open, there'll be people at both sides. You can choose one, you can crowd around, you can take pictures, you can do all that stuff. We celebrate and have fun with this, guys. But if you don't want to do that, just please be respectful. There's also communion. We kind of uh, spread out the tables a little bit because there's all this stuff up here. You're welcome to take communion. That represents a body and blood of Jesus. And the only thing that prevents you from taking that is you have to ask God to forgive you of your sins, okay? Love you guys so much. And if this is something that's been on your heart, I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Consider this. Consider this, okay? Bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, my prayer um, for anyone in this room, if they are struggling with this decision, God, if they have been a follower of you and they genuinely love you, but they just haven't done this yet, God, I just pray that you just touch their heart. Encourage them, Lord. Speak to them. If there are people in this room that maybe they were baptized as an infant or, or maybe they didn't have a decision and they want to make that decision on their own, touch them, God. And if it's something you want them to do, just lead them. God, for all the people in this room who aren't going to get baptized and who are going to partake of your, of your communion, the Lord's Supper, pray that you bless them, God. I pray, Lord, that we approach your, your, your communion with a repentant heart, God, and that we honor and respect what that symbolizes. And I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room who is not a believer and they are on the fence, I just pray that they start to, 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 to look into you. I pray that they start exploring you. I pray, God, that you give them the courage to pick up the Bible and just to start reading. If there's anyone who needs prayer, there'll be people up here to my left to pray for you. Come up and have prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, Jesus. Be with us today, God, and bless everyone who chooses to get baptized. We pray all this in the only name that saves, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You come over here. They'll get you set up with clothes. They'll pray with you. We'll get everything wrapped up. And then Josh is over here. If you guys need anything, you can go to either side.